Welcome back to Freedom Fridays. In this episode of Freedom Fridays, we kind of pick up a similar topic to what we had last time. Last time we were talking about genders and how God designed us to be male and female. This time we're going to talk about marriage. And is marriage just an outdated thing that uh, that we've come up with and it's a social idea? And is this just an outdated thing? Well, we're going to take a look, as always, in the Bible first. And so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25 say this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of the, his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here in Genesis talks about the very first marriage ever to be, and that is the marriage between Adam and Eve. And of course, the reason that Eve was created is because it's not good for man to be alone. Whether that's man or woman, it's, it's, we're designed to have companionship. We're designed to have, uh, we're not complete on our own. And uh, so from the beginning of the earth, God created and ordained marriage and sex inside marriage. Um, it says they, he'll be joined to his wife. They'll become one flesh. They were naked and not ashamed. Why was it they could be naked and not be ashamed? Because it was just the two of them. They were the only ones around, and so there was no need to be ashamed. It's just husband and wife, and he doesn't need to be ashamed around her, and she doesn't need to be ashamed around him. And, uh, and that's just the way that God ordained it. That's the way that God created it. Jesus reiterates this in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 4, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So marriage is a joining of two into one by God. This happens in multiple layers, not just the physical layer, but this happens in an emotional layer. It happens in a spiritual layer. It happens uh, so deeply that it talks about there is no way to separate it. 
what God has joined together. Don't let man even try to separate it. That's like, you know, having me fuse two pieces of plastic together and then you try and separate it and so that they're not fused together and every bit of the one side plastic goes to the, its side and the other side goes to the other side. It's impossible. It's impossible to completely separate a union that God has uh, joined together. And, and so the purpose here is also to show who God is. Um, marriage is a great picture of God and us, and we'll get to that um, more in just a moment. But when we think about God, He is faithful. He is always faithful to us. He is faithful to His covenants. He is faithful to His promises. He is faithful to His people. God is faithful. That's something that is one of His major characteristics. And He wants a a union with us to show that he is faithful. And so he, he created marriage partly to show his faithfulness and then have us learn that same type of faithfulness. So he designed this framework for us to be faithful as well. In fact, that faithfulness is reiterated in one of the most graphic uh, books on marriage in the Bible, the Song of Solomon. And that is all about um, the marriage love and faithfulness in the marriage. And so as you read through that, um, that's the purpose of that book. And he also talks about it extensively in the beginning chapters of Proverbs um, about staying faithful. Be faithful to your wife. Avoid the adulteress. Um, avoid... Um, the uh, unfaithful circumstances and situations. And he's, he reiterates that over and over, chapter after chapter after chapter in the first, say, 10 chapters of Proverbs. Um, it's almost like he says the same thing again because it's that important that we see the faithfulness of God and that we then in turn learn to be like him and to be faithful. So God has designed that framework for us to be faithful with him as well. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. And this is a passage that's very familiar when we talk about marriage, starting in verse 22. Uh, very familiar, but tends to, tends to become very controversial. Uh, verse 22, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And that's part of the reason it becomes controversial. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is all, also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present him to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or anything or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also to, ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, the purpose of this we're going to get to in a moment is Christ in the church, which is a great reason why God designed marriage. Um, but he also shows in here some different roles so that we as married people would become, God had designed marriage to become a complete union. And when I say a complete union, um, not just that the union is completed, but that uh, in its form, everything is um, complete or made right so that um, the things that I am lacking, my wife can add, and the things that she is lacking, I can add by design. We are designed to not be self-sufficient. We're designed to need a companion. And so that design uh, is almost like a puzzle. And this puzzle piece is not... Uh, complete because it needs the other puzzle piece that fits with it in order to create the full picture. Um, marriage is that same way. Um, we, in order to be a complete union or a complete functional uh, union together as a marriage, we need to be together and locked together like puzzle pieces. So why is it that we should be married and not just cohabitate? Uh, not just live with each other and not be married. After all, people have said marriage is just a piece of paper, right? No, it's not just a piece of paper. It's an institution ordained by God. Um, and uh, anybody who says it's just a piece of paper, uh, I take offense to that. Because God has also designed marriage to be a picture, a pure picture of our relationship to Christ. Now, we saw that here in Ephesians 5, where he says, you know, this is, this is the roles and relationship of the marriage, and they relate to the roles and relationship that we relate to Christ. He also shows that throughout the book of Hosea. And Hosea shows his faithfulness in marriage even we're un, when we are unfaithful, and it's calling us back as our, our faithfulness to God and... Um, and so you know, when you figure in the faithfulness, you figure in the design, it has to be a locked union so that it is, um, it's, it's lifelong uh, in order for us, that shows our faithfulness. Otherwise, we wouldn't be showing that faithfulness. And then um, let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, starting in the first verse, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. And then he talks about the responsibility uh, intimately inside a marriage. Um, so one of the reasons that God has designed marriage is because we are going to be tempted otherwise. And he says there's a pure way to do this. Um, just like any other sin that we're tempted, we're tempted to then thwart God's design and go with, with Satan's design. In this uh, respect, it's the same way. We're tempted to thwart God's design and go with Satan's design and just um, have sex outside of marriage. And he says, no, I've designed this for inside of marriage. 
Uh, let's go along those lines again to Exodus chapter 20. This is the Ten Commandments. And he says in verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Again, down in Leviticus chapter 20 in verse 10, he says, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So God takes adultery seriously. It's not, um, uh, it's not just a, a small thing to him. It's not just, oh, well, well, we only did this before marriage or, or outside of marriage. It's not a huge deal. Um, it is a huge deal to God. He created the design the way he created it. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32 says, The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. He says, you're not very smart if you commit adultery. Um, and uh, those are God's words, not mine. So don't write me about you know how I think you're not smart. Um, if you commit adultery, it's not a wise thing to do. Um, Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Some people will say, well, that's all about adultery, right? Um, and then we get to this verse, and he's, he adds fornicators in with adulterers. Now, in, when you see the, the word adultery, we understand that adultery, for the most part, the words in the Bible that are translated adultery, refer to uh, outside of a marriage. So you're married and you have um, intimate relationships with somebody who's not your spouse, or you're not married and you have intimate relationships with somebody who is married and they're not married to you. And so... That's adultery, but then we talk about fornication. Fornication is before marriage. So you're not married, and you're having intimate relationships with somebody else. And this is much more of a, and sometimes it's translated sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is almost a bucket for the whole thing. It can be fornication, it can be adultery, um, and and it, uh, it is kind of all-encompassing there. And so now he said... God is going to judge fornicators and adulterers. And this even relates to the marriage bed being undefiled when you have sex before marriage. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, uh, murders adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness." slanders. And then he goes on and he's saying, these things are sin. They come out of the heart of evil um, where these things come from. And he includes both adulteries and fornications in that list. Romans chapter 13 and verse 13 says, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. So this is not fitting for a believer to do, to, to not only to be drunk or carousing, but sexual promiscuity is not fitting and sensuality is not fitting for a believer in Jesus Christ. It doesn't fit with what he has done for us.
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through the end of the chapter talk about how our body is the Lord's. And he starts out in verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. This is the answer for anybody who says, well, that in the Old Testament, that's, that's by law. We now live by grace. And so God will forgive any sin that I do. And he says, well, all things may be lawful for you, but not everything is profitable. Not everything's a good idea. And they say, well, all things are lawful. I'm not going to be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. And this is where some people have said, well, we're designed to be sexual beings. And so why not fulfill that? Why does it have to be inside of marriage? Um, and he goes on and says, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. And, and he continues on and he says, you know, don't take um, flee immorality, verse 18, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the, the temple or the home of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And so you know, he rounds it out, verse 20, for you have been brought, bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, because it's no longer yours because of your union with Christ. You need to follow his design. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is becoming more like Christ. Think of it that way. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the, ma in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He says this is very serious. You need to abstain from sexual immorality. And again, that's a bucket for the whole kit and caboodle. Um, instead, you should know how to have self-control. So now the question with today's relationships is, well, does a marriage have to be between a man and a woman, or can it be a man and a man, or a woman and a woman? Leviticus chapter um, 18 and verse 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. So God, who created the male and female, created them that way for a design, for a purpose. And he says it's absolutely disgusting if you decide uh, that you want to instead choose homosexuality. Um, and he reiterates this in Romans chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 26, he says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. What reason? Reason because they didn't want to follow God. They didn't want to acknowledge God. They didn't want to acknowledge Him in their hearts. Um, he says, so he gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. 
And in the same way, also the man abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. He's specifically talking about homosexuality here, that it's it's a, a not only an abomination to God, but it also causes problems in your own self. It, it's self-defeating and self-harmful. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, going back to the similar passage right before the other one. Or do you not know that the unrighteous who will not, or will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God? Some were such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So he's saying these sins are things that will keep you from God. Now we'll talk about eternal security and another thing. This is not saying that you can lose your salvation, but what it is saying is these things are. Uh, sinful thing. These are unrighteous, and people who do these on a regular basis are fooling themselves to think they're following God. And these things include fornication and adultery and homosexuality. All three of those things are in this list. And so God takes this very serious. Um, Homosexuality is not acceptable to God. The marriage relationship, as designed, is for a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, for the rest of their lives. Well, thank you for tuning in to Freedom Fridays. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.